0: So this has been a a phenomenal journey. Thank you so much uh, Acharya G, for um, reinforcing so many of the points that I struggle with as I communicate and teach my students. So many of these questions that have been put to you and you have answered them so much in depth and uh, absolutely on point. Um, that I'm really, really pleased that we, uh, we were able to engage uh, in this way today. So one or two other things that are left for us to talk about, if we may. One of them is, you know, this issue of religion versus spirituality. It's a big issue. But I want to put it as a as a policy challenge there are two big things in my mind that I'd really like, but before we run out of time, I'd also like for us, if it is possible at all, to have a follow-up uh, one-on-one conversation in the context of our teaching and research. We will benefit tremendously from your deep insights. So that's one thing on the side. So if your colleagues who you know work with you can help us with that, I appreciate that. But the question, the question here is, the way I put it is, is India today too religious to be spiritual?
1: Uh, well, you know what I'm getting at? Yes, it's yes. It's divisions yes, yes. In of, in along fact, religious have, lines, you know, compared to true. the lofty
0: spirituality that India's history has.
1: Right. In fact, you have put it quite succinctly. You can definitely say India is just uh, too religious uh, to be spiritual. And that's also my everyday experience. People who come from overtly religious backgrounds, it is uh, more difficult uh, to teach them. It is uh, more difficult even for them to listen without prejudice and interference, internal interference. Whereas people who come from very normal, irreligious backgrounds, even atheists, they are far more receptive and their uh, listening is less uh, corrupted, less filtered. Uh, It's a travesty because religion is supposed to be the entire ecosystem that turns one spiritual but uh, that's the way of Maya as Vedant puts it you build something to tackle her and instead she will co opt that same very thing ingest it and turn it into her own weapon Uh, you know, Saint Kabir puts it very beautifully. He says, you accord uh, sacredness to the water of the river and Maya will make that water her own. You accord sacredness to the deity in the temple and Maya will make that deity her own. You accord sacredness to the holy verses and Maya will make those verses her own. So that's the thing with uh, frozen methods. And organized religion is nothing but a name of frozen methods, traditions, rituals. They were designed to be helpful, no doubt. But over time, they have all not only lost their efficacy, but have actually become active instruments in the hand of Maya. So, you know, the the situation has become so bad that uh, the core spiritual um, uh, documents like the Upanishads, people have, have turned to reviling them, actually putting them aside and denigrating them. So that they can continue with the rituals and beliefs that they call as religion. So, for example, if people are indulging in something utterly stupid and I ask them, that this that you are doing, is this written in Gita? They will say, oh, the Gita is not all that important. We have other books as well. And even if it is not written in Gita, it's a ritual we follow and our rituals. That's what's implicit in what they're saying. Our rituals are more important than Gita. No, that's utterly shocking. I ask them, yours is, when I'm talking to Hindus, let's say, yours is a Vedic religion. And this that you are doing, is it sanctioned by the core of Vedas, which is Vedant? Does Vedant sanction what you are doing? They will say, no, we don't care about Vedanta, we haven't even uh, read what the Upanishads say. But this is what my fathers and forefathers were doing. And that is what is more important. This is what we call as religion. So this kind of uh, cultural nationalism is emerging. Not only nationalism, cultural jingoism of all kinds. Of which one manifestation is nationalism. And uh, religion has become another name for the popular low-level culture. So whatever we do in the name of religion, whatever we culturally do in the name of religion, that is religion. And that is the popular consensus. Spirituality, well, that is something we are not interested in. So you are very right when you say, That today, religion and spirituality are at odds with each other. And that's the the most important battle that needs to be fought today. Mm? Of uh, bringing out the primacy of spirituality over religion. Otherwise, one one very disastrous thing that is happening is that people, especially the young people, the, the intellectual people, they conflate Religion and spirituality, and because they do not like what they see in the name of religion, they go away from spirituality as well. Because they do not like all the rioting and hooliganism in the name of, uh, of let's say the Hindu religion. They totally discard the Upanishads as well. Because they do not like the caste system that's prevalent in the in the Hindu fold they would discard the Bhagavad Gita as well. My question is, are the Upanishads or Bhagavad Gita or Brahma Sutra or Ashtavakra Gita, are they talking of the caste system? In fact, they are actively saying, in so many words, that caste system is bogus. You have an entire Upanishad dedicated to discarding the caste system. And yet there are big sections, Uh, who are uh, discarding spirituality because spirituality appears to be affiliated with religion. Hence this distinction needs to be very clearly made. That the religion uh, that these people are practicing is not religion. In fact they have sabotaged the word religion. And this word needs to be liberated from their fold. Otherwise there needs to be a new stream and that's what the Buddha had to do. Because the priestly class of that time had totally monopolized religion. Therefore, he had to come up with a new stream of his own, which was nothing but essentially the spiritual core of the existing religion itself.
0: That's right.
1: But he had to give it another name because the existing religion had been totally monopolized. Maybe that is the need of the hour. Either refinement from within or an outgrowth outside. I would prefer an inner refinement. Uh.
0: This is indeed, I think, like you put it, the need of the hour. When I started the center at the OP Jindal Global University, this was the vision and the challenge it's so a vision and a challenge. I looked at the, you know, the lofty wisdom, the spirituality that India had. And I look at India today and I see the divide. And I ask myself, one, we have to find a way and uh, and I, I hope if we can join forces with other like-minded people and organizations we have, we can hopefully make some progress. But a bigger, more positive question that comes to my mind is can India lead a new renaissance in the world building on its lofty philosophy, essentially Advaita Vedanta, and lead us to a new way of doing economics, a new way of politics, a new way of public policy to a world that will be the world so many of us hope for. And if not us at this generation, our children hope for. You know, a world with more equity, sustainability, prosperity, uh, less conflict and so on, that world. My hope is that the answer to that question might be yes. But I might be completely wrong. I'd like your thoughts.
1: You see, India is just just too big. And therefore, I'm afraid when we say, can India lead a revolution? It becomes a bit uh, uh, hazy. Because India will contain just so many diverse even opposing elements and streams at all times we are talking of 1.4 billion people maybe there would be awakenings within India forces from within streams from within that can uh, show the way to the entire world but uh, But as a patriot, if I imagine a situation where the entire Indian political country has awakened, I I find it difficult. Still we can have have, uh, powerful movements of awakening starting from within India. And I hope that first of all they get success within India but what i realistically see is that even if such a movement starts from within india it has a greater chance of succeeding abroad because as you said india is just too religious i i really share your hope but realistically i do not see the first successes coming from within india so As far as the initiation of such a movement or such an awakening is concerned, chances are very high that something can happen from within our nation. Chances are very high. But what I also see is that uh, more success in terms of its expansion and acceptance will uh, come from abroad. And what would rather happen is that once there is success abroad, then Indians will probably queue up to follow. So, uh, my heart uh, really wants to agree with you, and that's the reason I have continued to work in this country. I could have taken the decision to um, shift my base to other places where conditions are uh, much more supportive. Uh, And uh, I too want things to happen here in the first place. But because I have been trying since over a decade now, so I know how difficult it is to deal with with a mindset that's frozen in time, um, that has become uh, a hotbed of all kinds of confused notions. And uh, not that abroad it is going to be much better, but uh, at least the, the renaissance uh, destroyed some of the most uh, stupid beliefs there. India never had a renaissance of that kind. So even the worst kinds of beliefs continue to prosper in the mind here. And fighting those beliefs is not only um, tiring, also feels humiliating. You know, you feel alright and you feel encouraged when you fight a worthy enemy. How do you feel while fighting a, a belief that says that there are seven ghosts that live on this particular uh, tree? And if you do not please them, then, then, then your kid will die. Now, now, this unfortunately is not a joke. This unfortunately is a very solid belief that let's say millions in this country share. And if you, uh, if you want to question this belief, not even attack it, then there is great resistance. Yeah. So um, the first successes will probably not come from within, uh, but I really, really want that uh, this uh, nation that has given core spirituality to the entire world does not uh, remain or end up deprived of its own fruit. Diya hmm? I don't want uh, that, that to happen, but it's uh, an uphill task. Uh, Uh, It's an uphill task. Let's see. Let's see.
2: Thank you. Actually, uh, just a a follow up uh, kind of a point uh, if uh, I want to know about uh, how Acharya ji would reflect on that. You know, uh, when you are saying that um, a lot of changes might come from abroad rather than within, uh, that's uh, one kind of observation. Now, one way to think about it would also be to connect uh, genuinely core spirituality with science, Uh, not in the spooky way you know what we find you know that uh, uh, entanglement of human minds and all those uh, kind of rubbish things, but uh, really understanding that how science and genuine philosophical uh, thinking that went on in our country. They can be integrated. And uh, we at our center, we had hosted some very important scientists earlier, like Donald Hoffman and also Minas Kafatos and so on. And myself working with some scientists in uh, various papers and books. We have seen amazing uh, synergies between, uh, you know, uh, not only Advait. Advait is already there, but Buddhism and Jainism and modern scientific thinking. So maybe that this uh, concept, that uh, this uh, spiritual philosophies can enrich science in a genuine way, not in a not in a kind of a spooky way, uh, that might also help to uh, kind of encourage that kind of a movement. Uh, that is like my own uh, passion and thinking, what you can say. So I'd just like to hear from you uh, on no,
1: that. It's a, it's, a, it's a very worthy desire you have expressed, sir. Again to because I care for it so much so I'll uh, venture to play the devil's advocate again what is happening is that uh, in the absence of self-knowledge science too can become just another profession of the ego which means that one could be a great scientist and yet inwardly very ignorant so whereas it is obviously important that one has a scientific attitude and uh, verses in the Upanishads are very unambiguous about it they say you cannot have self knowledge without having worldly knowledge hmm? so worldly knowledge is referred to as a Vidya inner knowledge knowledge of the self is referred to as Vidya and the Upanishads categorically say that if you think that you can have uh, inner knowledge, sense, outer knowledge, then you will fall into a deep well. So you need to have both, and only then you cross over the bondages of this life. So, science is uh, definitely of uh, great uh, importance is the scientist above things like uh, like comparison like jealousy like greed like ambition if the scientist too is uh, ambitious and uh, partisan and uh, a deluded fellow then merely uh, the knowledge of science is not going to help in fact that's the reason why i often say that If superstition is going to be obliterated, it's not science but spirituality that would do it. Superstitions will be taken care of not so much by science, but by spirituality. In the absence of spirituality, science itself becomes a new modern kind of superstition. Because you see, science is all about the external world. This is how this moves, this is how that works. What is my relationship with what works and what moves? That science has nothing to do with. And that's a big problem. You may know everything about what this wall is about and all the elementary particles inside it and you may know the quarks and string theory and everything. But do you know what your relationship with all this is? Do you know? Who the experiencer of all this is? Do you know who is the one who is experiencing and storing this knowledge? And therefore do you know who is the one who is going to use this knowledge? If you do not have self-knowledge, then external knowledge may not be of much help. It becomes a throw of dice. You do not know what will happen. Uh, The safest thing that may happen is that it may not be of much use. The worst thing that may happen is that it may be put, such external knowledge may be put, To very, very devastating uses. Like the kind of uh, uses we have put nuclear energy to. So, uh, I'm sure I've not given a clear answer. Science obviously is very important. I keep stressing that uh, uh, one cannot be ignorant of science and hope to be self-aware. But I also uh, want to assert that science without spirituality is very very problematic and just because one is a scientist one does not become wise
2: yeah thank you thank you this is exactly (laughs) one of the core issues that we are thinking in our center that is very much close to your heart
1: wonderful Mm. wonderful
2: and let me first apologize to anyone who might
0: have wanted to ask a question but because of time we couldn't have that question posed I just want to say in closing, uh, Acharya Ji, that uh, when uh, I think of your having been trained at IIT and IIM and having been in the public service, you know, you bring science and engineering and management and public service experience together with your in-depth knowledge and self-realization of the the lofty philosophy of Advait. We could not have uh, wanted anyone more erudite than yourself to engage with us this evening. So I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know you are your time has been great demand. I want to acknowledge the fact that you took the time to engage with us. And we want to in closing, like my colleague Sudipatra mentioned, we have a few concrete ideas where we believe we can benefit tremendously from a ongoing partnership and relationship with your foundation and yourself. We hope you will agree to that in even in the midst of the great pressures on your time. And we would follow up with uh, Dr. Chatterjee and, and others to make the link Uh, and seek your guidance and inputs, because we share the same goal here. It's exactly what you are setting out to do that we are setting out to do. And our comparative advantage is within a university system. And we are going to be very happy to put that advantage at your disposal. There are also, of course, as a university, many disadvantages. And we hope to overcome that with a kind of partnership that we can have with your foundation. So today, this is the the beginning uh, at this point, I hope, and not the end, it's just the end of these two hours we have been so fortunate to have with you. So let me thank you again and thank all your colleagues who helped to organize this. And let me acknowledge as well, all my colleagues, both within our own school, but within other schools that might have been present, as well as others, and we look forward to an ongoing collaboration. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, sir. I thoroughly enjoyed the whole conversation and I'll thank you and all the participants. And I really do look forward to an association, even a collaboration going ahead. Thank you so much.
0: Okay, bye-bye now. Bye to all.
1: Bye.